Turn to that text Alex read for us a bit ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, last part, first part of 5. We'll pretty much stay right there for the next few minutes. I'm glad you're here. Good to be able to be a part of a worship assembly at Hoover once again. Glad that God has blessed us in so many ways. I like that image on the screen behind me. I don't know, when I ran across that PowerPoint background, I thought that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty cool image, you know. I hope it'll kind of become clear, probably already is clear to you, what uh, what that's trying to communicate as it reflects, I think, what Paul is trying to teach us in these few verses here in chapters 4 and 5 of 2 Corinthians. Um, I um, probably am like you, and we're all like one another in this respect, that we sometimes get frustrated with this world as it is, you know. We get frustrated with the way things go. Uh, we get uh, discouraged because of the direction of our country, maybe, or we get f- we get sad because we lose loved ones. We hear of devastating things going on in people's lives, you know. You, you know of that right now. Maybe some of you are experiencing some things that are nobody knows about, except you and maybe the people closest to you. You get a bad diagnosis from a doctor. MRI comes back and it shows something you didn't want it to show. We all face the inevitable end of death. Isn't that the common struggle of humanity since the beginning? How do we face, how do we cope with thoughts of death? I mean, we, I guess maybe the older we get, the more we think about it maybe and, and the more real it becomes. I think there's probably a point in our lives early on where we don't really think about it a lot and as we see and experience the passing of people close to us, people we know, and as we see the effects of aging in our own bodies, we come to come to be convicted more and more of just the, the, of the temporal nature of life, you know. Let me, let me tell you a little bit of background about what's going on here with Paul, uh, because it matters to help us, it helps us to understand what he's saying in these verses here. You know, Paul had an interesting relationship with these, with these Christians, you know, these Christians at Corinth. Corinth was a church that he had established, Paul had. He had gone there. It was a very wicked city. Lots of, lots of awful, awful stuff went on in the city of Corinth. Paul went there with a bit of timidity, uh, a bit of fear uh, when he went there initially, but he taught the gospel of Christ. People became Christians. There was a small fledgling group of Christ followers in Corinth, and Paul had a relationship with them for years. And, and he wrote these letters back to them. You know, he wrote 1 Corinthians back to them. And if you read that letter, you'll see uh, they were dealing with a lot of stuff. Lots of stuff was going on there at, uh, at, at Corinth. They had a lot of questions about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, about division. They were taking one another to court. Like one Christian was suing another Christian and taking the case before non-Christian judge, so all, all sorts of stuff, things were happening there. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to them. Sometime after that, he wrote this letter. We call it 2 Corinthians. And what, 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 what's going on here apparently is some of the, this is important, so stay with me because I want you to see why he says what he says here. Um, there were a lot of people in this church who were starting to deny Paul. And, and one of the reasons they were doing that was that they had become convinced that if you followed Jesus, your life got immeasurably better right now, okay? So your health was good. You didn't have to deal with difficulties as much. Your, your, your finances got better. And so you can imagine how they became convicted of that, like Christianity is supposed to produce this, and then they looked at Paul, 
You know what kind of life Paul lived? You know how much money Paul had? Not much. You know how many hard things Paul went through? A lot. Later on in this letter, in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29, Paul's going to go through a catalog of things he had been through. He had suffered more than most of us in this room can even imagine. He had been beaten with you know, stripes multiple times. He had, they had tried to kill him with stones. He had been shipwrecked. He had dealt with pressure constantly from criticism and opposition from people in the church and outside of the church. Paul had gone through all sorts of stuff. And so if you're convinced that Christianity, becoming a Christian, immediately makes your life better and you get the things that you've been hoping for, and then you look at Paul, some sort of, Paul had, he writes about this in Galatians and 2 Corinthians, some sort of thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. Probably some sort of physical ailment Paul had. Some people think it's his eyesight. Some people think he had a bad back, some sort of chronic pain or whatever. We don't know what it was, but Paul probably had some sort of physical problem. And, and so you can imagine, they became convinced of the health and wealth gospel. I become a Christian, life gets good. They looked at Paul, life is bad. They kind of turned their back on Paul. Said, oh, he must not be telling the truth. He, he, he must not be a real Christian because his life is going badly. And if he were a real Christian, it wouldn't go badly like that. You see that? So some of that stuff's going on at Corinth, in this church. And uh, they were, Paul, Paul's going to do a lot of talking in this letter about stuff that um, some of these critics of Paul were saying about him. And he defends himself. And he says, he says don't, don't you remember? I shared the gospel with you. Don't you remember that the things that happened when I, when I came to Corinth, you know, and I taught you guys about Jesus Christ and what God did, what the Spirit did in your life. So with that background, look at our text now. And this has a lot of, a lot of application for God's people now. And maybe you're here as someone who's not a Christian. You know, this, I hope you'll listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote a couple thousand years ago. And I think you'll find it pretty relevant to things that you and I experience because there is within us, and I hope that all of us will acknowledge this, I think most of us kind of instinctively know it, whether or not we can kind of verbalize what it is. <clears throat> Every one of us, I think, experiences a sense of longing for something, like something's missing. There's a, there's a, there's a void. There's something that isn't what it ought to be, that, 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 that I, I want something more than what I have. And, and we try to... We try to do things to make that longing go away, make more money, you know, have more physical relationships, uh, get more power, get a better job, whatever. You know, we, we, we try to do these things and make that longing go away, but it doesn't go away. It doesn't go, it doesn't go away. It's, it's, still, it's still there. And, and, and so... Paul is, is helping these Christians to understand, look, that longing in you is not, is not going to be satisfied with the things of, of this life. It's, that's not where it's going to be filled. It's going to be fulfilled only in a longing for Christ and a realization that what he's doing in you is, is lasting and eternal. All right, so, so our text starts in verse 16. Background of this I've already shared with you. Uh, but Paul starts out our little section by saying, so we do not lose heart. I want you to look with me for a minute at what Paul does in this text and talking about this, um, this, this tent. He uses this expression in verse 1 of chapter 5. Look at, in fact, just 
skip down a bit. Look, look what he says, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. Verse 2, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So he's, so he's talking about this body as it is. Now, I want you to notice the contrast here is not between a physical body and a non-physical body. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about this body that is the effect of sin, that, that is dealing with the consequences of sin in a sin-cursed world on a sin-soaked planet. He's contrasting that kind of existence with another kind of existence that is ours only in foretaste now. We get glimpses of it, but we will fully experience it then after the Lord returns. So it's not physical versus non-physical, like physical versus spiritual. It's not a contrast here. It's between this life as we experience it now, living in a world that's still dealing with the consequences of sin, and the world, the kind of experience we will have when everything is as it ought to be. That's the contrast here. So he's talking about this tent here. And you'll notice, just you notice these... Um, these expressions here, it's wasting away, this light momentary affliction. If this body is destroyed, he says down in chapter 5. And then he uses this expression twice. I, I, I love this. I think you can probably relate to this. Look at verse, four of chapter, uh, verse 2 of chapter 5. <coughs> in this tent, for in this tent, we do what? We Groan. You ever groan? You don't, have to, you don't have to say anything out loud. Do you ever groan? Some of you, some of us, maybe were groaning when we were trying to get out of bed this morning, right? Groaning. Maybe Paul's talking a little bit about that. He had some, I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't want to say too much here that's not there. Uh, I, I, I like to speculate a little bit that Paul, whatever that thorn in the flesh he talks about seven chapters later, Eyesight, bad back, whatever it was. Paul may have had a hint of that here. It's like saying to the Corinthians, you, you guys know. And I'm, I'm, I've, got, I've got, some, I got some struggles, you know. I've got some problems, physical problems or whatever. In this tent, we groan. Isn't that the common human experience? If we live long enough, we will groan. We will, I don't know, we will realize that, man, I, I, I long for some sort of existence that is free of these inhibitions here now. Not just, not just physical stuff, that'd be part of it. And so for people in our, in our audience this morning who are struggling with chronic back pain or chronic pain of some other sort or some sort of... Um, just some sort of, you know, various things that come and go, the, the difficulty of aging, the, you know what I'm talking about. In this tent we groan. In this tent we groan. We experience that. Not just talking about that, though. He's, I think Paul's also talking about just the fact that we live in a world that is not what it ought to be. It's not what it once was. It's not what it will one day be, but it is what it is now. We get a taste of heaven on earth. We get a glimpse of what God is doing in us. He, he's given us the spirit, the text says, as a guarantee. So we see, we get a little taste of it, but we also live in a, 
in a, on a planet that's messed up. So what happened back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve did what they did and we've all followed in their footsteps, what happened is this world became something that it wasn't intended to be. The earth itself was, was messed up. The relationships between men and women, between people in general, were, were kind of messed up. Our, our relationship with God is, is not what it ought to be. And so we, 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 we feel tension here. There's, there's tension between you, you, some of us. Some of us are having tension with, with, with people at work, maybe, or, or, or people in families. You know, in your families, you, you sense that, that sort of tension. Maybe relationships aren't what you wish they, would, they were. Anybody experiencing that, you know? It's part of humanity, isn't it? And, see, and we see specifically what sin does to people's lives, what it does to our own lives. We see it in the lives of children, our, our children perhaps, grandchildren. And we see the consequences of that. And we look at the world, we look at our country, we look at what's happening in, in other places, and we see you know, these things. We see Satan working and sin getting in people's hearts and motivated by greed and, and power and lust and, 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 and all these things in our own state and our own... We've seen things in recent weeks, and this is, unfortunately, it's not an anomaly. These things are the way things are. In this tent, we groan. We groan. He says, being burdened. He says in verse 2, in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, and then he says it again, verse 4, in case we missed it the first time. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. We are living in a world that isn't what it ought to be. Now, notice the contrast here. Notice this. He says also in, in this text, this, uh, this building from God. So, so back up in chapter 4. Outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Skip down to chapter 5. This tent, this earthly tent, when it's being destroyed, it's decaying, it's, it's aging, it is consequences of the fall, you know. What, what, remember what God said to Eve, that, Childbirth is going to be different. It's going to be, it's going to be bad. To, to Adam, toil, it's going, to, it's going to be hard. The earth is going to grudgingly give up its fruit, you know. A lot of implications of what, what God said there in Genesis 3. And so when he's, when he's talking about this, he's saying, but we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The contrast here, I hope you see this, is that God is giving us this eternal dwelling in Christ. Now, here's, here's the thing. We get a glimpse of it here. We have, there's a sense in which we possess this now. We have been granted forgiveness. We've been resurrected with Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ, you were resurrected from that spiritual grave you were brought up out of that water that spiritual grave and you were given new life you get a taste of it the spirit of God is given to you Paul says that here the, God, the Holy Spirit indwells us as God's people and we experience what that means in a sense but we don't get the full experience 
So the contrast here, this, this earthly tent that's living in a world messed up by sin and is, is reaping the consequences of that in contrast to this building with God, which God has given us in a sense now, but we won't feel it, fully experience it until then. If you want more on this, read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul talks about it a lot. He says, because of the resurrection of Christ, we know that we also will one day be resurrected. And so we, will, we can experience, we can, we can look forward to experiencing that on that day. Now, look at this with me. All, all that being said, here's, here's what Paul's teaching us. Please, I want to make sure we get the foundation here. This isn't going to make sense. The so part here, the so part is tied to all this other stuff. And all this other stuff is the fact that as Christians, we, we, we still experience hard, hard times. And I hope we never communicate in any kind of way, whether directly or indirectly, that when you become a Christian, all your problems go away. If we've ever done that, I apologize for that. And I hope that this church never gets on board with the kind of teaching that implies that that God will give you your heart's desires when your heart's desires are more money and, 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 and maybe a, a better status in life or whatever if you follow Christ. Let us never communicate that. Paul is pushing back against that. These, these Christians at Corinth were, were buying into some of that. He's not saying, though, that Christianity is going to be some sort of negative experience just just because you become a Christian, that that's going to make it bad. What he's saying is, we live in a world that is dealing with the consequences of Genesis 3, the, of what happened then. And we are dealing with the consequences of our own choices and the choices of others and all that. And so he wants to make sure that we understand that there's a sense in which, as we've said many times before, we are already but not yet. We experience an already but not yet kind of thing. We already experience forgiveness, but we don't yet fully experience what, that, what the implications of that are. We already experience the Spirit living within us, but we don't yet fully experience what it's like to live completely in the presence of God. But we live our lives as if... That is a present reality. It is, in part, but not yet fully known. And so he says, so we don't lose heart. So I want, I want to encourage you to, to listen to what Paul's saying, because I know people in our church family are dealing with things that are hard, right? I know, I know we are. Paul's message to you would be, don't lose heart. Don't, don't quit. No, don't, don't think God's forgotten about you. Don't think that, oh man, you know, I thought Christianity was going to make my life go better and here it is, you know, I'm still suffering. I can't tell quantitatively, qualitatively, I can't tell any difference from the kind of bad experiences I'm experiencing versus my unbelieving neighbor over here, you know, a person who's lived a pretty bad life and still living a bad life. I can't, you see, Paul says, don't lose heart. Doesn't mean God's abandoned you. We are dealing with the consequences of living in this world as it is, but it's not always going to be that way. We don't lose heart. Look what he says in chapter 5. 
So we are. Again, that word so there. Important word here. So, verse 16 of chapter 4, we don't lose heart. So, verse 6 of chapter 5, we are always of good courage. And then he says it again in verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage. <coughs> Paul wants these people to know, look, yeah, I've got a bad back or I've got poor eyesight or I'm dealing with some, some other physical problem. Yeah, I've been persecuted. Yeah, I've been beaten. Yeah, I've been, I've been shipwrecked. Yeah, I've dealt, I've dealt with all this stuff. But I'm not, I'm not discouraged about it, Paul says. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quitting. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think God's abandoned me. I know that God uses these things to make me, listen to this, God uses these things to make me long for that building from God. So I hope that as we experience the consequences of living in the world as it is, that rather than turning our backs on God and walking away from Him, we are pressed closer into Him and we are drawn to Him even more knowing that all these things are not going to last. They are but for a moment. We are always of good courage. And then he says, so, verse 9, so, again that word so, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We don't give up. We don't lose courage. We don't throw on the towel. We keep trying to please him. Because we know, verse 10, last verse in our little section here, because we know our deeds, whether good or bad, are being done under the watchful eyes of a loving creator. And we know that there is an eternity to be lived. There is an, an eternity to be experienced, either in the presence of God or in his absence. Paul had no doubt what waited on him. He didn't have any doubt. He knew. He wasn't saying, I hope I'm going to do enough good stuff that I'll get, the good, I'll get the good verdict on that day. He knew what his verdict was. He's, he was in Christ. But he's saying that, that in view of judgment to come, I keep trying to please him. I keep trying to live in a way that's consistent with his will. This ought to... I'm sure we've got people all over the spectrum here, spiritually speaking. If you're not in Christ, if you're not walking with Christ, this text ought to say something to you. It ought to say to you that, you know, no matter what you get in this life, no matter how good it is or how bad it is for that matter, but no matter how much you accomplish, how many things you accumulate, how many good experiences you get, if you're not in Christ, you don't have the confidence of being fully clothed. Do you notice that metaphor Paul uses, the naked versus clothing idea? I think what he's talking about, you remember when in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve did what they did? And they realized, you remember this, right? They realized they were what? They were naked. That's what it means. That's a, something Paul's talking about, a real thing back in Genesis 3, but it's a metaphor for walking outside of the will of God. You are exposed and vulnerable. Paul says, if you're outside of Christ, that's what it is. That is that sense of shame and, and nakedness and vulnerability and exposure, you know? If you're outside of Christ, that is the way you will face God 
at judgment. Paul says it doesn't have to be that way. We can be. Paul, 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 a sense in which he's talking about now and, and looking ahead, we are in Christ now and we anticipate being fully clothed in Christ on that day. And so we don't lose heart. So we are good courage. So we try to live our lives and do good deeds because we've been called by Christ to do those good things in view of the fact that this world as it is is temporal, it is temporary. We can look forward to that day. You know, I wonder if we think about life after this as much as we should. It is a, a kind of a consequence of living in a very materialistic, very successful, very wealthy part of the world in that we have successfully done away with some of the dreads of the world of 100 years ago. It's fascinating, the advances of medicine and science in the last 100 years and the way that the world has changed, the quality of life, at least in this country. I know it's not that way all over the world, but quality of life is so much better now. I'm not going to vote to do away with air conditioner or, or, or the internet or whatever, but we also need to recognize that with that success and with that, that higher quality of life comes this sense that we belong here, that this is the way it ought to be, that we are, you know, man, this, this world is, is, is where I belong. This world as it is is where I belong. And what we need to come back to again and again is that this is just a, just a small segment of time we will exist eternally, either in God's presence or outside of it. If you're not a Christian this morning, I hope that what Paul has said in this text and what we've tried to do in explaining it is, is, has maybe led you to a point where you recognize, man, you need, I need to be in Christ. I want to be in Him. I want to I be at home with Him after this life is over. If you're ready to become a Christian, we'll baptize you into Him for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the guarantee, the down payment, the Holy Spirit of God that Paul talks about in our text. And you can walk with Him and anticipate one day fully experiencing what it means to be in the presence of God eternally. A beautiful thing. Maybe you need to come today and ask for the prayers of your church family here uh, that, that, that God will forgive you, He will bless you, and He'll, he'll walk with you once again. We, we're here to do whatever we can for you spiritually. If you need to come, I hope you'll do that now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.